All right. Sometimes when it comes to preaching, the preacher desires to preach a sermon more so than simply get a point across. Now you say, well, but the sermon is made up of points. Yes, but sometimes because you desire to preach a sermon, you know that you're supposed to preach a certain length of time, right? And, you, and there's an expectation that you're going to have... There, in other words, there's a template given, and I think sometimes the preaching template actually keeps the point that needs to be made from getting across because everyone is more worried about the template that's utilized, right? You have to start a certain way. You have to have three points in the middle. You have to have a, some kind of a powerful conclusion. And it's like every week you're supposed to produce this kind of speech. In other words, it's more about a speech than it is about actually getting a point across. This morning, I could care less about a sermon, I could care less about structure, I could care less about what anybody expects, I could care less about what, any, what anyone likes. Because the only thing I care about this morning is driving one point home and one point only. And I'm going to do everything in my power to get that point across, okay? And what we're going to do is, I, a lot of this is just going to be illi- for an illustration. Everyone in this room should get the answer right, Okay, everyone should get the answer right, and, and that's wonderful that you get the answer, but you need to be, well, sometimes preaching is more about reminding than it is sometimes teaching something new, correct? Yes? Everybody should say amen? All right, because, I mean, everyone here, I, I mean, Hope has already read the whole Bible, so anytime I preach anything, in some ways you should know what I'm getting ready to preach on, correct? Well, we're in Romans 10, so everyone here should already know Romans 10, but before we even look at the chapter, typically when you come to a new chapter, what do I do? A lot of times I give an outline. We're not going to do that. Sometimes I give an overview. Not going to do that. I'm not going to do anything that you're supposed to do. I'm going to break every single rule there is, all right? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a piece of paper. I want you to draw a line from the top to the bottom, right in the middle. Right? We did this in Sunday school, right? With Cain, Balaam, right? Kor, right? Okay. Here I want you to just a line right down the middle. And on the one side, just, just put person A. Now, I was going to use Lydia and Emma, but I'm not going to do that because if I do that, I think there was only, there's only so far I could take the illustration before they would be very uncomfortable and probably offended that they're being used and described in such a way. So I've got to be able to have more freedom to describe these two people any way I want, and they can't get mad at me, all right, because they don't exist, all right? So person A on one side and person B on the other, all right? Two people, all right? Two individuals. And I'm going desc- to describe each one, and then I'm going to ask one simple question, and then I'm going to explain how, what the right answer is, and then basically, we're done. That, and I don't, I don't really care. I don't care what happens, uh, because this is the point. That's all I care about is the point. This, all I care about is the point. I'll, as soon as I read Romans 10 again, I was like, nothing else matters in this entire chapter. If I don't get this point across, I don't care. What I do with this chapter, it all falls apart. I'm not even going to put it in its context. I don't care about anything else except this point, all right? So, we have per- person A, the right side of, well, well, well if I, from this side, I'm looking this way. I'll just say this side of the church, so to my left, right? This side of the church, this, this side of the church represents person A, okay? This side of the church represents person B, 
All right? So let's start with person A. All right? Person A, and I'm just going to throw some... You can write down the descriptions any way you want. All right? I'm just going to throw a lot of different things. Person A would be the person everyone would look at and go, what a good person. What a great guy. What a great girl. Awesome. Wonderful. Great. They're going to perceive them to be very good people. Right? Person A goes to church and probably doesn't ever miss a service. They don't just miss a service for any... They're there. No matter what happens, they're going to be at church. Person A not only reads the Bible, this is going to come as a shock, they actually do Bible study during the week. Isn't that crazy? They actually do Bible study during the week. Actual Bible study. Does everybody hear what I just said? Obviously the person doesn't exist, but okay, all right. But they actually do Bible study. All right? Oh, this is a shocker. They actually memorize scripture. Can you believe that? That sounds crazy, right? They memorize scripture. Oh, they listen to sermons during the week. Wow, that, that sounds... Uh, the, you, you already starting to like this person, right? Sounds sounding pretty good? Okay, do what? Okay, I'm not trying to, for you to pick the person, okay? I, I'm saying, I, this, this is, this, for, you're already starting to think positive things about this person. Agreed? All right? Okay. This person fasts. Clearly not a Baptist, right? They fast. Wow. This person volunteers at an orphanage. Wow. This person sometimes helps out at the homeless shelter. Oh, man. This person doesn't drink, doesn't smoke. You've never heard them use any kind of obscenity in any way, shape, or form. Person has, oh, has, is married and has always been faithful in every way, shape, and form. Person gives more than 10% to the church and to ministries. Person is known for having great integrity, trustworthiness, kindness. Well, you can just write them down any way you want. You don't don't have to get every single thing down. You're getting the basic general idea. Okay? This would be a person that you would... You would, you would recommend, you would, you would want to be friends with, you would, you would tell other people that you can trust them, that they, you, you don't feel like they're going to stab you in the back, you don't feel like that they're going to hurt you in any way, shape, or form, you feel like that they're trustworthy. You get the picture of this person? Right? Everybody got an idea? All right, that's person A. Let's go to person B. Person B, they come to church sometimes. They miss a lot. You never really know if they're going to show up or not show up. Sometimes they're here, sometimes they're not. You don't really know. You can't, put it this way, as a pastor, you really can't count that they're going to be here, right? You hope, but you don't know, right? They may be here, maybe not. Maybe they're missing for work. Maybe they're just not even showing up for whatever reason. You just can't really count on them to show up, okay? But they do show, show, show up sometimes. 
They do read the Bible not very frequently. You know, maybe once every couple of months they'll read a little bit. Nothing major. Nothing major. Okay. Bible study, not, not much. Not, not really is going to happen. They're not going to be pulling out a notebook and spending time doing a you know, topical method of Bible study, a thematic method. They're not going to be doing any of the methods. Not. If they have a choice, listen to sermons, a Christian podcast, or listen to anything else, they're going to choose something else, right? Maybe every once in a while they'll listen to something, but not anything regular or consistent in any way, shape, or form. Memorize scripture. They don't even know what that is, and they have no desire to learn what it is, okay? Fasting, ha, 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 not going to happen. Not going to happen. They drink sometimes, maybe sometimes they drink a little more than they should. And they've been, well, people have noticed that they've drink sometimes a little more than they should. They're not, they play loose with the facts. Sometimes they just make up complete lies and they get busted for it. Person's also been caught a couple of times shoplifting. Oh, and, uh, well... The person uh, has acknowledged that they, uh, they have issues with same-sex attraction. Maybe even struggled and been in a few same-sex relationships. Can't really trust them. They tend to gossip a lot. Maybe more than, they know more than they should. And overall, you, you just probably don't, you don't feel like you can trust the person because you feel like that whatever they say to you, they'll say one thing, but they'll talk about you behind your back. So you may not even really want to be close friends with them because, well, you don't know if you can really trust them. And you're getting phone calls or texts or messages from people saying, hey, hey, so-and-so was just saying this about you and you've gotten your feelings hurt about it because you just really can't trust this person. They, they don't give anything to the church. They've never given a dime to the church. Two very different people, right? Two very different people. And we know what good Christians would do to these two people, right? What would we do? We definitely would be judging one, right? In fact, we uh, actually just remember you're making a judgment to both, right? Yeah. Right? You're making a judgment about both. You're making a determination. You're go- I guarantee you, if I, whether even, even if someone didn't ask you, you probably vo- voiced your opinion about these two individuals in some way, shape, or form, right? I mean, come on. How many times either in your home, your kitchen, a car, someone in your family starts talking about someone else and they start offering their thoughts about that person and usually it's either in praise or in what? Condemnation, right? Whenever you talk about people, it doesn't not go in those two directions. Praise or condemnation, right? I mean, come on, be, be honest, right? You're either talking something good about the person or you're talking something bad about the person. You do it all the time, right? Y'all probably do it every Sunday when you leave here about me, right? It it happens, right? You talk about people and it's either going to be, you're going to be stating positive or you're going to be saying negative about them. Agreed? Some of you are looking at me like, I have never said, I don't even know what you're talking about. Well, okay, that's that's because you're a liar, okay? And we know where liars go, to Washington, okay? So, 
Okay, that was a joke. That was a joke. Everyone, calm down. Calm down. Okay, they they go to a lot. They go to everywhere because we all come from the womb telling lies. Okay, but that right. But you get the idea. <laughs> okay, but you get the idea, right? Two very different people. Now, if I was to ask you, now, if we had a bunch of young people here, right, and we had lots of kids who were paying attention, and I was to give you this illustration, right? Guess what? If I was to ask you, which one of these individuals is righteous? Everyone's going to say person A. And what are we going to say about person B? Unrighteous. True? That would be our judgment. That is not a biblical concept, the way we handle it. Go to Romans chapter 10. Remember, all I care about is this point today. All I care about. Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Paul is still expressing his desire that they would be saved, yes? Right? Did he not talk about the same thing in chapter 9? Yes. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. There's a lot of people who have a zeal for the things of God. They have a zeal maybe for righteousness. They have a zeal for morality. They have a zeal for so many things, but it's not according to biblical knowledge. When your zeal or your passion or your opinion is not according to knowledge, then your passion and zeal is of no great... In fact, it's actually detrimental to your spiritual life and maybe detrimental to the truth of the gospel. Verse 3, For they being ignorant of... What are they ignorant of? God's righteousness or the righteousness of God. Let me ask you this morning, are you ignorant about the righteousness of God? Now, some of you would be like, and some people, not not just you, anyone listening online, some people like, obviously I'm not ignorant of the righteousness of God because I identified person A as being the righteous one and not person B because I know what righteousness is. I know what morality is. I know what godliness is. And I'd be like, calm your zeal down. Are you ignorant of God's righteousness? How are are they ignorant of God's righteousness? Because he's speaking to whom here? He's speaking to Israel specifically, right? For they being ignorant, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness, going about to establish their own righteousness. How can you go about to establish your own righteousness? Give me some things one could do to try to establish their own righteousness. I think I gave you a list. Well, I, well, I've already given you a list, right? What was that? Remember I told you to write them all down? What did, what did person A do? Memorize scripture. Listen to sermons. Bible study. Fast. Go to church. 
Volunteer. Be kind to people. Don't lie. Don't drink. Are all those things good? Obviously, no one's going to say those things are bad. But we do those things to establish what kind of righteousness? Our own righteousness. Before we take another step, what does God say about our righteousness? Okay, everyone knows it. Find it. Everybody got the right book. That's very impressive. I'm very happy that everyone got it. Just please note, you're establishing your own righteousness. Okay, no, I'm just joking. Isaiah 64, 6. And someone tell me exactly what it says. I want, to, I want you to think this morning, do you really believe that your righteousness is nothing more than filthy rags? Do you really believe that your righteousness is nothing more than filthy rags? And we know that that has a very strong meaning, does it not? Okay, something that would goes into the waste, something that would be very disgusting and dirty, thrown into the trash, Right? Do you really believe that your righteousness is that filthy? Your righteousness is that corrupted? Your righteousness. Do you know what? There's plenty of Christians who don't believe that. You know why? Because they would look at person A and say, that person is saved, and person B can't be saved because person A has supposed righteousness that person B doesn't. That is establishing that person A's righteousness is not filthy rags. That is the mindset of a good portion of the evangelical world today. And that fits not in evangelicalism. Where does that fit? Roman Catholicism. It's one of the things I'm most grateful for is going to, deciding to take classes at a Catholic university. Then I realized, man, I've been better Catholic than I've ever been an evangelical. I didn't even realize it until I started studying Catholic theology. I'm like, what in the world? I thought I was learning something opposed to Catholic theology, and I'm a better Catholic than the Catholics. So they're ignorant of God's righteousness, and what do they go about doing? To establish their own righteousness, having not what? To the righteousness of God. You either will establish your own righteousness or you will submit yourself to the righteousness of God. Either you're you're grabbing onto your own, you're establishing your own, or you're submitting yourself to the righteousness of God. Let's see, let's go a little further. Let's go a little further. What's the next verse say? For Christ is the... End of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live. But the righteousness which is of... But the righteousness which is of faith. I want you to write down these. So you've got the two concepts. Now right in the middle, I want you to write down these concepts. You ready? Or you can still separate them if you want, but I want you to write down these concepts, right? 
You ready? Establish your own righteousness or submit to God's righteousness? Establish your own or submit to God? Our righteousness according to works or our righteousness according to faith? We'll add even another one. Our righteousness from law-keeping or our righteousness from belief. Those are radically different concepts, are they not? Radically different concepts. So... We, we talked about two individuals, person A and person B. Which one is righteous? There we go. Ding, 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 ding. That's the right answer. The one who trusts in Christ's righteousness alone. That is the one who is righteous. That is the one who is righteous. And don't give me some garbage that the one who trusts in the righteousness of Christ will be like the person A, because there's Muslims who are far, far more like the person A, who, guess what? They don't have the righteousness of God. There are Mormons who are very much like person A, who, guess what? They don't have the righteousness of God. There's Jehovah's Witnesses like the person A, who do not have the righteousness of God. There are Catholics who are like the person There are Greek Orthodox. There are atheists who will be more like the person A, then they'll be on the person B. But in our minds, we want to believe what? That we believe the, the way you know someone has an imputed righteousness is by the existence of what? Practical righteousness. But can't you, that destroys the entire concept. Imputed is What? Do what? It's just accredited to you. It's not in you. It's just given to you. So person B, do they look righteous? No. Do they look questionable? Yes. But if they put their faith in God, they're covered in what? An imputed righteousness. That is not, they, they, clearly they haven't established a righteousness on their own, right? Clearly, there's a problem. Now, already I'm going to get 50 emails today, because guess what, people are hurt, because what did I say about person B? What is one of the things I said about person B that will just spark World War III in 2022? I said that they have same-sex attraction and possibly been involved in some same-sex relationships. That will be the end, that's the end, that's it, no way. They're, 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 they've got to be shot, they've got to be killed, there's just no way. Which always blows my mind, right? If you, if you have same-sex attraction, you can't be saved. But you can, be a, you can have opposite-sex attraction and have lust or pornography, or, and then you can be saved. And, isn't it weird that when you, when you become saved as a heterosexual, you can maintain all of your struggles and lust, but if you become saved, you can't have any of the same struggles with homosexual. Who came up with that rule? 
Because I know when I was born again, guess what still in, it was inside of me? A depraved nature. And guess what the depraved nature has done in many times in my life? Be clear, oh, guess what? Every day, it's shown. Well, guess what happens if someone gets saved with a same-sex attraction? It doesn't necessarily go away. (laughs) I don't know why we think it goes away. If you believed in an infused righteousness, then by all means, say it goes away. But then you better back off and saying anything because you better show to me that all yours have gone away. And as soon as someone wants to start talking trash to me about this, I'm like, okay, oh, let, let me see. Let me see your phone. Let me see your computer. Let's, I want to know what's really going on in your life. And then they, get, get, let me see your thoughts. And all of a sudden they kind of back off a little bit. Well, because we're so good at being like, oh, no, 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 Bobby, you better show me salvation. I'm like, how about you stop pointing the finger at Bobby and how about we look at you? We are saved by what kind of a righteousness? How do we obtain said righteousness? By faith. By faith. Not according to what? Works. Not according to keeping the law. So what must we do? We must submit to what righteousness? The righteousness that is not our own, that is given to us by faith. Aren't you glad? Now, you can submit to your own and you can talk big and bad and you can make all your claims that no Christians will be different. Go ahead and make your claim. I got 2,000 years of church history that says that's a lie. I got 2,000 years of church history that what have we seen about the church for 2,000 years? Every kind of sin imaginable, right? Did Paul go to the church of Corinth and go, none of you are saved? He said, babes in Christ. He called them babes in Christ. What? Yeah, he even acknowledged that what was going on in the church of Corinth wasn't even happening in the world. That's messed up. Again, if just read the report from the SBC. Read those 300 pages from the report. That you'll be like utterly terrified of what you've seen. I mean, it's... It's beyond disgusting. A young girl is physically used by her pastor. She gets pregnant and she has to stand in front of the congregation to repent of her sin, but can't say what happened and how it happened. In the church. In the church. Now, remember, when, it was, when we found out all those horrible things about Roman Catholics, what did us Protestants do? Not saved! Not saved! Not saved! None of you are saved! Now, all of a sudden, it's like, you guys. So then what do we have to do? Okay, well, some of us are not saved. And one day, you wake up, And realize you're not saved unless you continue to convince yourself that you're more godly than you are. You can play that game. You can can try to convince me that you're godly. Great. I've always said anyone who disagrees with me, fine. You go establish your righteousness. I'm going to trust in the imputed righteousness. You can condemn me all day. 
and say that I'm denying the gospel? Call it. Go ahead. Just prove to me how godly you are. When you find yourself on your face and some sin and it gets called out, I'll be there to say, trust in the righteousness of Christ. Because you've got nothing else to trust in. Let's read these verses again. Brethren, my heart's desire is that they may, is my, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may, might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness, going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. What does that mean in verse 4? How is Christ the end of the law? For righteousness. He kept it. And guess what? If, if person B believes in Christ, guess what that person has done? They've kept it. Well, the other person, if they haven't believed in Christ, I don't care how good they are. I don't care how much they go to church. They're still under the law. They're condemned. You say, but person B sounds like trash. Yeah. I'll tell you something messed up. David saw a woman bathing, correct? He ended up having physical relations with that woman. And then he had her husband killed. Now this is the part of Christianity that nobody likes. If that person that was killed was not a true believer in God, guess who went to hell? Who went to hell? The husband. Who goes to heaven? David. Lost his wife. Lost his life. Possibly. And you say, but he was the good guy, right? He wouldn't even, he wouldn't even have relations with his wife when he was called back. And, he, and he, he wouldn't do anything wrong. He's the good guy. Was he? Think about this. If Lot's wife was not a true believer, she looked back, lost her life, and possibly went to hell. Lot, who brought him into the whole situation anyway, offered up his daughters to an entire city of men, and then gets drunk twice and have relations with his daughters. He's called righteous in the New Testament. How is that humanly possible? How can Lot be called righteous in the New Testament? When everyone wants to argue with about me, Lot's called righteous. Don't tell me that no, no one could do that and be saved. He did it. It was called righteous. How is that humanly possible? How could Abram be called righteous after what they did to their Egyptian slave? Twilo has listened to that study. I think what was our conclusion about that story? We both said we never want to study it again. That story is messed up. But Abraham's called what? Righteous. He was declared to be righteous. That's, that's some messed up stuff what he did. 
I mean, I'm sorry. There's just no way to get around what he did with Hagar is messed up. I don't care what you say, it's messed up. Jacob and Esau. Some messed up stuff. I mean, I can go on and on and on and on and on, story after story after story after story. You're like, what is, what is the deal here? Person B would be the righteous one. Person A would be the unrighteous one. Now, they possibly both could be righteous, as someone stated. It's very true, right? Could be, right? Because they, if they both place their faith in Christ, both of them could be saved. But someone can be very religious and have never truly put their faith in Christ. Don't we not learn that about Nicodemus? Nicodemus was right, was godly, righteous. He, he said all those right things about Jesus. And what did Jesus say? Was he impressed by any of his righteousness? Unless you're born again, not going to see the kingdom of God. Christ is the end of the law for me. How is the end of the law for me? The law no longer what? condemns me. The law is no longer required for me to be saved. Law-keeping is not required for salvation. What is required for salvation? Faith. Faith. Why am I motivated to keep the law? Out of gratitude. Not out of got to prove something. Because what can I... Does law-keeping prove the existence of imputed righteousness? It does not. Again, we have, not only that, we have the Pharisees. They kept the law all the time. And then we have that really troubling passage in Matthew 7. And, the, and, that, last, and that day, they're going to say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do, didn't we do, didn't we do, didn't we do? It's like, depart from me. Well, wait, we did all the things. Because our, your righteousness that God is looking for is not the righteousness that comes from law-keeping. It's the righteousness that comes from what? Believing. Let me read it again. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. That is true. Moses describes a law that if you do, you will live. And if you don't, you will die. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Next verse. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this speaketh on this wise say not in thine heart who shall ascend into heaven that is to bring Christ down from above or who shall descend into the deep that is to bring up Christ again from the dead but what saith it the word is nigh thee even in thy mouth and in thy heart that is the word of faith which we preach that if thou shall what confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man does what? Believeth unto righteousness. With the heart man does what? Believes unto righteousness. How do you believe unto righteousness? Because you believe in what is imputed to you. The perfect righteousness of God. And what does that perfect righteousness of God do for you? You're perfectly saved. 
you're eternally secure because it's not your righteousness. And we forget this all the time. We want a righteousness of our own. We want a righteousness that we establish. And we will, because this is just the way we, look, this goes against everything inside of us. Right? Because our first eye is like, it, it can't be that easy. Well, good. If you don't think it's that easy, you show me how it's done. Because you know what? You have to be an utter liar to yourself to think that you're righteous enough to ever even prove that you're saved. Because if you're guilty of one point of the law, we talked about it last night in the late night uh, devotional message that I did, right? That we don't even love anyone correctly. Every bit of our love, self-love, is very much present. We love people for what they give us. We love people for what we can get. We don't love people just because of who they are as a person created in the image of God. We love for what we can get. Even our love is tainted. Well, guess what? Do you love God because of who God is, or do you love God for what he does for you? You can say all day you love God for who he is, but if he tells you tomorrow that you're going to hell, I doubt you're going to love him anymore. Demonstrating that your love is tainted with what? We say, well, this proves that I'm saved. Well, most of the test says one of the things that proves you're saved is that you love God. But you never truly love God. So it could never prove you're saved. It would constantly prove that you are unsaved. You're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. You have a hard enough time ever doing that because your love for other people is once again tainted. That's just that first part, love. Oh, be ye holy as God is holy. Has anybody ever accomplished that for one day? If you say that you have, we're going to get you some help immediately, right? I'm going to call for someone to come and take you away because you're delusional and you're insane. Because God is how kind of, what kind of holy? Well, I mean, just the fact to use the word holy. I mean, there's not a different kind of holy. Well, I guess there has to be a different kind of holiness because a lot of Christians walking around thinking that they've somehow, they, they make that as a test for salvation. How do you know you're saved? Be holy as God is holy. Well, then nobody is saved because no one's come, what, within a million miles of that holiness. It's other than, it's different. That's why Luther figured out I gotta go to confession. Oh, wait, wait. I gotta go to confession. Luther, go home. No, I can't go home because as soon as I walk away, I remember another sin. And if I don't remember another sin, I commit another sin, so I gotta go back. And so what did he finally realize? The just shall live. And what does he mean by that? That we live by an imputed righteousness, an alien righteousness, a foreign righteousness that is not our own. He understood that if he was infused with a righteousness, he would stop doing all of these things. If I was infused with a righteousness, I would stop. Many believers today in the evangelical world believe that they have been infused with a righteousness, even if they don't use those words. But again, guess what they demonstrate over and over and over? You're a liar. In fact, the fact that you're claiming to be more righteous than you are demonstrates that you're not righteous. (laughs) It demonstrates you're a liar. All right, I'm going to read it one more time, and then we'll we'll be done. We'll just stop. All right, I'm going to read it from a different translation. Here we go. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God concerning them is for their salvation. 
I can testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Since they are ignorant of the righteousness of God and attempt to establish their own righteousness, they have not submitted to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Since Moses tells about the righteousness that is from the law, the one who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that comes from, the, from faith speaks like this. Do not say in your heart, who will go up to heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will go down into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. On the contrary, what does it say? The message is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. This is the message of faith that we proclaim. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believeth with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. For Scripture says, everyone who believeth on him will not be put to shame. Why will I never be put to shame? Because of an imputed righteousness. And I don't care what you say about me, nothing changes the imputed righteousness. At all. That is what we have to grasp because it has been completely destroyed in the evangelical church. The evangelical church stopped studying history. And when you stop studying history, you start studying the Reformation. The church stopped studying theology. Once you stop studying theology, then you begin to forget the, the theology that came from the Reformation. And so you begin to establish, because what's the natural in, the inclination of the human heart? It's always to establish our righteousness and to judge people according to our way of thinking. And God's way of thinking is utterly opposite to that. And in some cases, we felt nervous about how some people handled things. So to correct it, in many cases, we begin to destroy the very doctrine. The grace of God is dangerous. The grace of God is frightening. The grace of God makes us uncomfortable. But your only other option is to establish your own righteousness and view that as the way someone is saved, which is contrary. Now, if you want that, if you want that, I can suggest some Catholic Church in Abilene for you. Go do that. And if you can convince yourself that you have enough righteousness to, uh, to appease a holy God, then go for it. Go for it. Because you can't. You can't. You can do everything the Catholic Church tells. That's how come the Catholic Church has to have such an elaborate system, right? Even though you're infused with it, what do you have to do? You have to do this. You have to do penance. You have to do this. You have to have to earn an indulgence. You have to, and even after you do everything, where are you going to still go? Purgatory. Because now it's got to be purged from you. So even in their system, even with an infused righteousness, you still can't get to heaven. You still have to have a stop by purgatory to get it all purged away. Well, that means the infused righteousness doesn't seem to do very much. And I know plenty of Catholics who supposedly were infused when they were, you know, uh, sprinkled as a baby. Guess what? If you have a, a, a Catholic who has an infused righteousness and a Protestant who simply has an imputed righteousness, which one should be more godly? The Catholic, because they have an infused righteousness. It doesn't happen. Why? Because they weren't infused with nothing. They had water put on their forehead. That's what they got. I wish it was true. 
If I believe I could go get baptized in a Catholic church right now and be infused with the righteousness of God, I, would, I, I wouldn't even be talking to you. I'd be driving at 127 miles an hour. I'm like, give me the righteousness. I need that righteousness because I know every single day I wish I had it. But I've got something better. An imputed one. All right, we'll stop there. Lord God, we come before you this afternoon. It wasn't a sermon, but it was the pleading and begging that we would understand this point. Because apart from this point, Christianity crumbles in on itself and becomes nothing more than a moralistic deism, a moralistic theism that is of no value. It's just another moral system in the long history of moral systems that the world has come up with. Every system of morality has been suggested by people throughout the entire history of humanity. If Christianity is nothing more than another moral system, then there's, there's nothing special about it. But if what we actually teach is that you sent your son to keep the law and to die for us, so that by faith we could be declared perfectly righteous and holy because of his righteousness being accredited to our account, that is radically different than any idea ever put forth by man. Because it wasn't an idea put forth by man, it was an idea given to us by you. Let us never reject your way for our way and establish our righteousness in opposition to the righteousness you provide. Forgive us for where we have messed these up and help us be grateful today that we have an imputed righteousness by faith, not based off what we do. We ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said...